try your best to see the silver lining, good things will come. They will. At the end of the day, it's worth it. It, it was worth every single shot, every single monitoring appointment, every heartbreak. Hi, we are Colleen. And Colleen. And we have made it our mission to spread kindness and make everyone feel like they belong. So each week we will share real life stories, motivating insights, and helpful tips that will inspire you to live a kinder, happier life. We believe that together we can make the world a much better place. Are you in? I'm in. Let's do this. Welcome to the You Fit Here podcast. Hi, everybody. Oh, hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of You Fit Here. I'm CB. I'm CS. Yep, CS. And we have a very special guest today. I had the privilege of going to college with her and then staying connected through the years. And she has always just been this ray of sunshine, kind of like CS's rainbows and unicorns. She is the same where she just like exudes happiness and her smile makes you smile. And when I would walk into the bar and she was tending bar, it was just like a good night for me. Um, so welcome, Miss Amanda. Hi, everybody. What a nice intro. I'm like blushing over here. You guys are sweet. It's just the best. And she has gone through a journey of infertility and IVF and now has a beautiful baby girl. And this whole story, she's decided to share and open up with people about it. And I think just following along and listening has made people feel not alone and very connected and just aware of other people and their situations and how to maybe approach them better in the future. So we had to get her on here to share her story with all of you. Um, so let's dive right in. Do it. Let's do it. So um, I told CS to go squawk Amanda, like an excellent detective <gasps> she is. And she pulled up a post and the start no. of the post said, my story isn't all sunshine and glitter. Which I was but, like, but CB told me she is like sunshine and glitter. So where is this going? So intriguing. Yes. Go on. Go on. We learned a little bit about your IVF journey, or CS learned a little bit about it through that post. Yeah. So tell us, before all of that, what your vision of, like, getting married, being a mom, and, like, adulthood was going to look like in your head. Yeah. I, I wish I remember what I put on that post, because it feels like centuries ago, but it wasn't that long. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've always been drawn to kids. Um, I've always had really young energy. Um, I've always wanted to be a mom. Like almost like every girl who like dreams of having a family thinks about their lives when they get older. It's like, I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to have a job. And then like, I'm going to get married and then I'm going to start popping out the babies. And <laughs> that is not how my life went. And that's okay. Um, I definitely had this idea of having like three or four kids and that we would go on little trips to the park and the and have picnics and we would go roller skating in the in the streets. It, that is clearly not my journey. Um so I didn't get married until a little bit later into my 30s. So I was 33 when I got married. 34? I don't know. I was in my 30s. And immediately my husband and I were talking about starting a family and um, it was probably about six months to a year after we got married that we were like seriously like going to try. And 
we kept trying month after month after month. And I would do all of the ovulation test kits. I bought the really expensive digital ones that give you a smiley face. I bought the cheap ones off of Amazon because you can blow through 50 of those in like a random month. Um, and just was kind of getting stressed out about it. So after about a year or so of doing it that way, then we were like, let's just not make it an effort and let's just have fun with it again. Um, and yeah, that, that turned into another almost full year of nothing. Like my period came like clockwork and my like ideas of, am I actually going to be a mom? Like, is this going to happen? Did I wait too long? Like those questions started to kind of creep up, but I always wanted to be a mom. And I always knew that like, I thought, I felt like I was going to be a good mom, but definitely didn't happen the way I thought it was going to. I really like, well, you said that, um, we would go on picnics and Colleen always says you can plan a pretty picnic, but you can't predict the weather. And that's so telling of your story. And, you know, it's interesting that you said we were structured with it. And then we thought, let's take all the pressure off of it and have fun with it. And you hear people say that, like, it's too stressful. Like your body's not going to react if it's too stressful of a situation. You have to let go and have fun. But it's it's just so much hearsay of other people on the outside trying to make the situation feel better for them almost. Like, right. this is uncomfortable, well, so I need to give my advice. Yeah. Yeah, they want to say something helpful. And 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 people always have really good intentions of, actually, have you tried this? And have you tried this? And it's like, girl, I've tried it all. Like, yeah. like I got my little smiley face. Okay, today at 3 and then tomorrow morning before work. And then we're <laughs> going to do it a little different next month because every month you only have, like, this certain little window. And mm-hmm. so next thing you know, like, we've tried it six different ways for two months in a row. And next thing you know, a year has gone by. And right. so it's like, just like the constantly trying to tweak, figuring out what factor could be attributing this time. Is it my diet? Is it my exercise? Is it the chemicals that I'm using in the products that I have at home? Is it my supplements that I'm taking? Like maybe I need more supplements. Maybe I need less. I mean, there are so many things and you try to nitpick away and like figure out which one might be helping, which one might be hindering. And next thing you know, you lose a year and a half. And the older you get, I mean, right now, like I'm 38. And when I, you know, ended up getting pregnant, it was through IVF and I was 37. And I knew that my time was ticking and, you know, it, it was, it was just hard. I, I can't imagine that. I actually, in preparation to ask you questions, not knowing yep. you and then CB and I collaborated, which is always helpful because she does know you. Um, I stumbled across a lot of articles. There was one and I can't remember what the organization was called, but it was a bunch of like myth busters um, and all the things that that I've overheard, like, oh, as soon as they, they signed their adoption papers, they got pregnant or, you know, as soon as they stopped stressing out about it or whatever, but it's so much easier said than done. And I can't imagine actually going through that and not knowing and knowing like, okay, but I take the same vitamins and I drink the same amount of wine and I do everything that that friend does, but she got pregnant, boom, boom, boom. I can't imagine what that must've been like for you. Well, and it it was hard because in the in like my age where I am, 
all of my friends have kids mm -hmm. and I work, I'm, I'm, I'm a pediatric speech pathologist. So I'm working with kids all day. So I'm surrounded by children and I'm surrounded by like, they're like little energies and I just love them so much. And I just, all I ever wanted was to be a mom. Um, you know, I, I went to college to be a speech pathologist and I, I originally didn't go to college thinking that's what I was going to do, but I, I didn't want to be kind of in this box of just my career and I wanted to have more, you know what I mean? And the way that I grew up, like I don't have a relationship with any of my family. Um, you know, they have, they had made some choices, um, when I was pretty young and those choices made me have well, I had to really take a hard look at the people that I was allowing in my life and the type of energy that they were bringing. And I very much knew from a, a young age that the way that I grew up was, there were some good times, there really were, but there were also some things that I knew that when I had my own family, I was never going to be like that. And when I decided that you know, I was going to distance myself from my family for my own sake um, in order to really value myself and protect myself from harm, you know, whether, and, and it wasn't physical harm, there was nothing like that, but emotional harm and, you know, distrust. And I, I definitely wanted to make sure that I had this beautiful, loving family so that I could bring something good into the world. Because I feel like our world right now, and I mean, not just right now, but like for a long time has been really hard and icky and heavy. And I wanted to bring something beautiful and light and wonderful into it. And I wanted to do things a little bit differently than how I did. And I feel like that's really common for a lot of people. They always want to you know, do better for their kids than their parents did for them. Not saying that the way that their parents did things were wrong, but in, in my case, th there was a little bit more that outweighed of in terms of negatives. So I knew that I just wanted to bring something better into the world. And the fact that it was so hard was heartbreaking. Just heartbreaking. Well, because you feel like you're, you're going to break the cycle of how mm -hmm. you were raised. And mm -hmm. then having your own family, this beautiful family, I would think would be this like beginning of healing, healing yourself. Right. Yeah. like I'm healing what I went through by producing this beautiful family and relationship with my daughter well future child yeah. at the time yeah. and then you get a diagnosis of endometriosis so mm -hmm. at what point did you go to the doctor and then they did some testing mm -hmm. and tell us a little bit about end endometriosis and why it makes all of this so such a nightmare yeah. So Pete and I got married in June of 2015. And as of, so we took a little time to just be married. Then we started trying. So we tried in 2016, 2017, just kind of took a little bit of break. And then it was like December of like 2018. And I was like, things just still aren't happening. Like what is going on? So I talked to a girlfriend of mine who had suggested that like maybe I talk to um, like a reproductive endocrinologist or a fertility doctor. And I was like, okay. So I looked into my insurance and I had gone to my OBGYN 
and he had told me like, yeah, you know, like you might just want to follow up with one, like your insurance covers it. So check it out. So I went in January of 2019, um, to a reproductive endocrinologist and I had never had, <laughs> I, I had never had a vaginal ultrasound up until that point. So oh, this yeah. woman sure. comes in with this Russian accent she's holding this curling iron of a wand. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you doing my hair today? <laughs> okay, that's great. Um, and she is in there and she is going left and right and doing the, making faces. And I'm like, this can't be normal. She, I, and, and then at one point she calls the doctor in and the doctor is looking at something and they're looking at the screen and they're talking about me in front of me. Like I'm not there. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like what is happening? This is so uncomfortable. So then she's like, okay, um, we're going to have you go sit in the waiting room. The doctor will be with you in a minute. So I get dressed. I go sit in the waiting room. Um, I go back to the doctor's office and he straight up tells me like, you have a cyst. Your cyst is the size of a grapefruit and I can't see anything inside of your body until you get that taken care of. And I was like, okay. So then me, I go into business mode. All right. When are we going to schedule this? What kind of a procedure is it? What is my downtime? What's the recovery like? Um, how soon can we do this? Because like at this point I'm like 30, what, 36, 37 times a ticking. Let's get moving. And he's like, uh, you're going to need a C-section type scar across your abdomen. We don't do that here. You're going to have to go to the hospital, call your doctor. And I was like, okay, literally three minutes in and out of his office. My husband's at work at this point. So I'm driving home sobbing, just crying. And I like, don't know what to do. And then I'm like calling my doctor and I'm like, I need, I need to have a, and, and, and the assist removed, blah, blah, blah. So then what I do is because for me, I'm the type of person that the more information I have, the better prepared I feel I can be. Mm -hmm. So I start Googling, researching, yeah. finding specialists. I'm watching freaking videos of people having their cysts removed like I'm a doctor. Um, so long story short, I found a specialist in Illinois, um, went down in March. March. I, I should have looked looked at all the dates for this, but no, it's either it's end of February, beginning of March, went down for my surgery. Um, surgery turned out to be a lengthier process than they originally thought. They, they told me it was going to be like an outpatient thing where my husband would come with me. They would do the surgery. It would take like an hour and then like I would recover for 40 minutes and then go home. That did not happen. I was there overnight. They found one cyst that was over 12 centimeters and then they found three others hiding behind it. Um, and they confirmed at that point that I had endometriosis. So basically endometriosis is when the tissues of your uterus grow in places that they're not supposed to. And so for me, it was growing on my ovaries. So anytime I would have like my period, um, I would have these areas in my body or cysts on my ovaries that were growing and growing and growing, filling up with blood and then causing me pain and discomfort. So what happens with the endometriosis part of it is because they were in my ovaries, they were destroying my eggs or my follicles while they were in there. So I basically had the egg count or the follicle count of 
like a 48-year-old woman at the age of 36. So the chances of me, number one, having enough eggs and having quality eggs was really, really low. Now, my husband, his swimmers were great. So it wasn't a problem with that. We, we definitely looked at both of them. But so here I am now, you know, I'm, I'm post-op after having this procedure. They get these cysts out of me. I have to recover and then try to find out like, okay, do I even have any viable eggs left? Because anytime you do any kind of reproductive surgery, you're messing with the goods, you know, and you could jostle something, you could ruin something. I mean, they ended up, I, like I was, I was in the hospital for like that whole night and they had a hard time like with my bleeding because the cysts were so large and had such a large blood supply to them that basically wrecked my ovaries. Question. You said that these cysts, unbeknownst to you, you had literally no idea that was going on. But growing up, did you feel like you had worse than average pain and cramping and things like that every month? Like, is that an indicator of endometriosis? It is. It is. So there's like indicators of endometriosis, but you cannot diagnose it until you actually have a surgery. And for me, my periods were always a little rough. I, I remember start getting started on birth control when I was like 15 like around 15, just to try to regulate my cycles because my cycles were really off. And, but in terms of like the pain, like as I got older, I just learned to like deal with it. And pain is one of those things that it's hard to compare because how we perceive pain is so different. So like for you, it might be like, oh my gosh, that was awful. But for me, it was the only thing I'd ever grown up knowing. So I just assumed everybody had periods like that and it was fine. (sighs) Um, Word to the wise, like, you know, on those like commercials where you see women and it's like a tampon commercial and they're like running and jogging. And, and like, if you ever look at those commercials and go, Oh no, not because you don't like to run and jog, (laughs) but because you think like on your, on your period, I would never be able to do that. That is like a sign that things are not okay in your body. Um, my wow. doctor told me that, that at, like uh, as a woman, you shouldn't have so much discomfort or issues that you shouldn't be able to do any kind of a physical activity on your cycle. I had no idea. Wow. You know that my acupuncturist told me this literally a couple months ago and she was like, there shouldn't be this whole horrible buildup because it's cramps, it's mood, it's all this stuff. And she's like, you should literally wake up. And then just, there's your period one day, high yep. flow. But in our society, it's like, my dolls just like handed out like candy or bought like candy because it's like, well, this is what your period's like, ladies. Sorry, yeah. you have to suffer. And we're taught this as kids growing up. And most people, I would assume, don't know that it doesn't or shouldn't be like that necessarily. Uh, right. It's so true. And, and we, um, don't, we don't know what you don't know. And you don't know what is typical because what is typical isn't really out. I mean, and a lot of people like don't talk about it either. And it's an uncomfortable thing to be like, so how's your period? (laughs) Everyone, you know, it's not what you just talk about over coffee, but the more we talk about it, the more we can realize like, oh wait, like there could be 
a promised land of me not being in pain like this, like mm-hmm. sign me up. What the yeah. heck? Well, and it's so interesting because I had the same issue at a very young age where my periods lasted for sometimes like 20 or more days mm-hmm. and so much pain and discomfort, but I had no problem getting pregnant and okay. then there you are. And so it just goes to show you don't know. And okay, so that the wand, the curling iron wand was the only way to detect those cysts, I presume, because you've, you've had, what's it called when we, the clamper? <laughs> a pap. Yeah, a pap smear. I've You've had, had those. Everything was fine. Yep. yep. So they, interesting. I know. And so they literally couldn't see any of my reproductive organs because the cyst was so large. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so then right away did they know you probably need IVF or did they say, okay, now that the cyst is gone, you can go try on your own? So they – they told me that I would need to be approved after post-op. So it was like, um, I want to say like six weeks post-surgery, um, I went back to that same fertility clinic and, uh, well, I called to schedule. Uh, I never went back. Um, so I called to schedule my post-op because that's what the doctor told me. Like, you need to get this handled. Call us when you do. I'm like, okay. So I called and I have never in my life felt the way that I did in that moment. So I called and I get this nurse on the phone and I said, hi, um, I'm Amanda and I'm calling to schedule my um, a meeting with my doctor, like a consult. I just finished having a surgery that he had, he had suggested and recommended. And she's like, what's your name? And she pulls up on her computer and she's like, oh yeah, no, um, Okay, so we can get you in, but you're going to need, like, even with, like, an FSH like this, you're probably going to need a donor. And I was like, what? And she's like, well, yeah, like, your FSH is so low, um, but you're probably going to need a donor. Um, Have you done any searching? And I was like, what do you, what's an FSH? And she's like, didn't your doctor talk to you about this at your consult? And I was like, no, I'm calling for my consult. And she's like, oh, well. Your FSH is like how, like your egg quality and or quantity. And your FSH is so low that you're probably going to need an egg donor. So here's what I would do. Um, you're going to need to go online and on our website, we have a list so you can shop. It's just awesome. So you can shop for who you think would be a good donor. And then as soon as you put a deposit down, we'll give you more information about those donors and how to proceed. And I was like, what? I thought I was calling for a consult. Here's this woman being like, no, it doesn't matter. You're going to need an egg donor and I'm at work. And so I like literally I'm sobbing, but then I'm like, you got to get it together, Amanda. You've got, you've got a client coming through the door in 20 minutes. Um, so I call my husband in this panic and he was like, wait a minute, they told you we need a donor. And I was like, I've never even talked to the doctor. Like, I don't know what the words they were saying to me. And he's like, okay, we need to figure this out. So I ended up calling them back and saying that I needed to continue to schedule um, and that I wanted to come in. Well, they were like, okay, we need to do genetic testing first and we need to do a post ultrasound so that we can get an idea of what's happening with your reproductive system. And once we do all of that blood work, then you can meet with the doctor. And every time I went there, it just felt really icky and I didn't like it. And at one point my husband was like, don't you think we should look for someplace else? 
Like, do we yes. have a second opinion? Because like, I don't want to like give up my hopes of having a child that is genetically ours because one nurse on the phone decided to tell you that. And I was like, okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay, wait. Um, I'm sorry. So the bedside manner of that doctor in the first place was so out of line and uncompassionate. Was that a word? Yeah. I, I, uh, and then withheld inform- vital information from you and acted like, oh, here you go to Antarctica now. There's not a map uh-huh. and then come back. But I'm so disturbed by that. I was too. I was too. And, you know, I have other friends now that I'm like, you know, in this who had gone through that moment um, and had gone to that clinic who had a very different experience. So, my experience was just not great there, but I kind of, you know, I almost felt like I, I needed to like have that, but in order to know how great my next clinic was, but at the end of the day, you don't know what you don't know. Like, I don't know how IVF clinics work. I don't know what's typical for them. I'd never been to one, you know, like we always know about like our primary care physicians and doctor's office and pediatricians, because that's something you go to every year. Like I've never needed like a reproductive endocrinologist. So. Well, even um, the wording, like the terminology, all of it is so foreign. And then to have it met with such cold energy. Yeah. I just feel like there are some things like you sprain your ankle. Okay. Like I don't need to be hugged and comforted in this moment, but when it comes to people who are coming to you because they cannot get pregnant, that is such a sensitive touchy thing that you have to, I don't care what the stereotypical doctor nurse Mm -hmm whatever persona is, you have to be able to comfort your patients because they are going through one of the hardest things in their life. And if you don't have that, they are literally alone. Yeah. I remember one nurse when I had my miscarriage and the doctor was same, like cold came in, this is what we're doing, blah, 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 whatever. I was like, awesome. Great. This nurse came in, she was like petting me gave me this like mug and soup and was just the nicest woman. And I will never remember what doctor did that surgery, but I will always remember that nurse who made me feel so loved. And she said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm okay. And she said, no, you're not. And that's okay. And I was like, you're right. I'm not. And they had sent Scott away, my husband to do whatever, but it's like, you need people to treat people like people, like you are dealing with such an emotional thing but I mean, I'm glad that it made you yeah. realize that your next doctor was wonderful because that is just horrible. Yeah. Tell so, us about that doctor. Oh, that doctor was amazing. Dr. Jennifer Hirschfield Citron, Fertility Centers of Illinois. She was my bestie. Um, I knew I was going to like her because when I went in for my consult with her, she greeted me in the waiting room and brought me back. Oh, and she was wearing oh. a black t-shirt that had this like bedazzled motorcycle on it. <laughs> yes, I kind of like you already. <laughs> That's and awesome. so I went in there and you know, I just kind of said to her, like, here's the deal. This is what I want. This is what we did. This is what I've done. This is what they said. I signed a release form. You have all of my records. We just want our best shot at this. What can you do for me? And she was like, well, let me show you. And she flips the screen around and she's showing me my test results. And she's like, nine out of 10 infertility doctors would say IVF is your best bet. And they would do IVF before they go donor. 
And she's like, your numbers aren't great, but they're not awful. And she's like, and you're young. And I was like, well, I'm young. <laughs> Didn't feel young. And she's like, no, like if you were 42, I would say like, maybe we do need to look at donors, but she's like, you're 36. Let's try this. So, um, she said what happens a lot of the times is that infertility clinics will look at your numbers. And if you are not guaranteed to be a success story, they will do certain things and say certain things to you so that you do something else, not with them because you don't want to hurt their stats. Sure. They don't want to take you on because if you are the type of person who it might not be a success story, you're going to ruin their stats. And then when they can't say that 78% of our clients leave here with a healthy pregnancy and a happy baby, then you're, then it's going to lower that and people aren't going to want to give it a go. And it just, it's heartbreaking to think about things like that, where it's like, no, your, your job isn't for the stats. Your job is to help people have a family. Um, so they, they gave me all of my information. They were like, here, I want you to, to review this with your husband. I want you guys to come back together and we're going to make a decision together. Um, and let me know how you want to proceed. So I came home, talked to my husband. We went back, we met with her again and we said, um, what are our shots? And she said, well, here's the thing. We don't know what we don't know. So let's try it and see what happens. And by the way, if you're interested in doing that, here's your nurses. Um, so I had my nurse Jen and my nurse Munja, and they were fantastic. They listened to me cry on the phone. They listened, they responded to all of my emails. Um, and it was wonderful. And I, I couldn't have asked for a better situation, but um, we did a round of IVF and things did not go great. <laughs> Our first round failed. And at the end of the day, like we were left with nothing. We had invested all this time, all this money. I had done shots for weeks. Um, I was waking up at quarter to five every morning to get ready for work, driving to Illinois in order to get monitoring for literally eight minutes and then driving back home because they only do monitoring from 6 a.m. until 6.30. And so it was just, it was it was hard. It was messy. Um, and the first round failed and I was devastated. Um, yeah, it was, that was a hard moment. Um, cause it's like giving it everything you have and then. And I was like, so arrogantly confident. <laughs> I was like, this is it. You guys, we are going to get our baby. I'm going to be a mom. Pete's going to be a great dad. And I had gone for my egg retrieval. And um, so egg retrieval is, is they put you like in a twilight so that you're not awake for it, but they use a big old needle right on up ya, and they take the eggs out of your ovaries that you had been pumping yourself full of hormones to stimulate a whole bunch of them. And they only got three eggs my first time. And one of them wasn't mature and the other two didn't fertilize at all. And so we literally had nothing, but let me tell you, I come out of anesthesia like a champ. Um, I am like a drunken toddler. Um, I remember nothing of what I said. The nurse told me that only 10% of people wake up like I did. I was like, hi, what's your name? I don't like banana popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yes, yeah. you'll have to go check my Facebook because I know I posted the video on yeah, there. I was, was going to say, there's a video. I actually have this as a talking point. Oh! But, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, am I interrupting your talking points? No! Oh my gosh, no! We can, I just made it a bullet point to bring it up because it was so funny. I didn't watch it. Was that that's the post I found? Mm, I think no, so. probably but not. There's videos in it. I there's uh, there's videos within my within my journey of infertility. Okay. okay. Um, but I remember being at the 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 harbor market here in in Kenosha downtown every Saturday morning. They have a market, and I was with um my best friend Megan and her mom, and I was like, you know, like you're I'm just moving a little slow. I was like wearing my like yoga pants because like I didn't want anything tight on me. And I was like, yeah, like I'm, I should get my call sometime today telling me how many of my eggs fertilize and how many potential embryos we have. And I got the phone call and I was like, ah, hi, it's Amanda. How's it going? And she's like, oh, we're, we're doing well. And I was, she was like, I wish I was calling with good news. And it was just like slap in my face, like this bad news that it didn't work. And, um, I came home and my husband was in the backyard doing yard work and he looked at me and it was just like, he knew. And I was like, it didn't work. Um, and I think that, that for me, like the hardest part of all of that is like, it, it was hard for me because I wanted to be a mom, but like also knowing that I, there's a chance I'm taking away the possibility for my husband to be a father. And so for, for me, that was like really heartbreaking. And, and it's like, you go through this and I was trying so hard to be so positive and optimistic. And I typically am like, I can see the bright side in a lot of things. And I know that, you know, in some podcasts, you guys have talked about like the glass and how full it is or whatever. And it's like, okay, is a glass half full, half empty? Um, maybe it's full of something we can't see. Maybe the glass is just the wrong size. I don't know. Um, and in that moment, I could not see the, the, the silver lining of any of it. Um, and then you let your mind go to these like really irrational thoughts and you're just devastated. And I just remember thinking like, is my husband going to leave me? You know, and like, is he going to leave me to be with somebody that can give him a family? And oh gosh, Pete is just the best. And he very much was like, oh my gosh, Amanda, I would never do that. And, and then you feel broken and he's like, you're not broken. You're like, we're just going through this. And when we got married, we got married under the impression that, yeah, like we want a family, but our love for each other is why we're married. It's not because you're going to potentially give me a child one day. Like, and, and then it's like, is this going to be my life? Like, am I comfortable with this? And in that moment I had to say, okay, this didn't work. What are our options? And I had, we like sat down and we laid them out and we said, okay, do we do another round of IVF? Do we um, go donor eggs? Do we adopt? Do we find another way to be parents? Because at the end of the day, that's what we want. We have so much love in our hearts to give. And we know that it's, it's our calling to be parents and that um, we would make that happen. Yeah. Well, and when you're going through that moment of like, I can't see the silver lining. It's almost like, how do you even get back to the 
positive mm-hmm. outlook type of person that you are when you're sitting with this? It's like, do you just fake it until it becomes real? Or do you just, mm. I know you're like a bullet point, like list, let's get to work person. Is that just like <laughs> cloud it until you can get back to that place? Um. So for me, I needed some time to feel and, and I took that time. I, I took like a solid, like three, four days to just like, let myself be devastated. And that was okay. And I needed that for myself. Um, and then, you know, my doctor called right away, which I was like, oh my gosh, you're so wonderful. Um, but we went in and I called it my what the fuck moment. Um, and I was like, okay, we need to have our what the fuck appointment because now tell me what the fuck we're going to do next. Um, so we went in a few days later for our WTF appointment and (laughs) we talked to her and she was like, here's the deal. We learned some things from doing this round and we learned how your body does and doesn't respond to certain medications. And we learned that, you know, there are other ways that we can approach this now that we know some more. Um, and Mm -hmm. she's like, is this ideal? No, but are you out of options? No. And she's like, so I would like to suggest that we try another round. And she's like, but I want to make sure that you're ready for it and that you're on board. Um, and she literally like gave us our options and we were in the driver's seat, which was so nice. And so, um, we, I, I needed time. And so I, like gave myself three months to let my heart heal um, and to like prepare myself to potentially do another round. Um, Pete and I talked about it and we're like, okay, do we feel that we've done everything that we could within our powers um, or would we regret it if we didn't give it one more shot? And I definitely said I would regret it if we didn't try one more time. Mm -hmm. And so we tried one more time and like (laughs) just – so like with IVF, like you, there's so many medications, so many things that you have to take. They, they, they give you calendars and mark your dates and you have to take this one in the morning, this one at night, and then this injection three times a day. And, and like you get delivered this box, this box of medications that's worth like $40,000 or something stupid like that. Um, I was, I was so naive. I was, when we found out our insurance covered like $15,000 worth of meds, I was like, yes, this is awesome. The copays are like $12, $5, 25 bucks. Um, yeah, no, that, that didn't even get us one medication. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, this is, this is a lot. Um, so I learned a lot, but we got that box of meds after my three month break and it was like PTSD. And it comes to the counter and it's in this cooler and I'm unloading the, the syringes and the needles and the gauze pads and alcohol strips and all of the pills and the injections. And, and I'm just going like, oh my gosh, do I really want to do this again? And the, like my second cycle was a little bit longer um, and we ended up needing to do more monitoring more injections and it it was a longer road but i i jumped because like i had um hcg 
uh, or H HGH. It was like a human growth hormone. That's what it is, HGH. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Pete, I'm going to get swole. I am going to be so buff. I'm going to be ripped. And he's like, yeah, no, I don't know that that's how that works. And I was like, no, but I think that it does. Like this gives me like a little bit of hope um, that I'm just going to be able to arm wrestle you and win one day. Um, and so, you know, like I would try to make it fun the second round. Like I bought like really cheesy band-aids. Um, I bought band-aids that were in the shape of tacos, some that were um, slices of bacon. Um, so that when I'm doing my injections, if I start to bleed a little bit that I just like pop on one of those and it's kind of funny. Um, and the second round was better. And, you know, we got five eggs that time and, um, four of them were mature and three of them fertilized. And we, um, at the end of the day had two little, um, embryos when all was said and done. Oh my gosh. Okay. Before we get to all that good stuff, mm-hmm. you said you had this like PTSD almost. Yeah. Did you, cause I assume the first time you went in, you were just like, this is going to work yeah. based on what you said, like very optimistic. The second time, did you go in with like a level of not that confidence? Just like, I gotta just get through this now and hope. Yeah. I, the second round of IVF was by far the hardest um, because I, I was so like, still like shook from the first round. So I literally approached the second round, like every day was just a doctor's appointment. Like I, I didn't put any hope into it. I was almost like indifferent, which is a really weird place for me to be because I tend to have a lot of emotions about things. Like I'm either really excited about it or not for me, but I was just, I tried to remain indifferent. And I would say like, I would uh, literally imagine that every like monitoring appointment, like I didn't look at the screen. um, I didn't ask any questions. um, I wasn't like checking to see how big my follicles were. Like, are they maturing? Like, how am I doing? It was just like, I would go in, pretend it was a pap smear and then go home. Um, every injection I kind of thought about, like, I'm just going to pretend I'm a diabetic because it prov- it kept me from putting too much hope in the process and then being devastated when it didn't work the way that I wanted it to. Um, and I literally think that infertility not ruined my my pregnancy, but it was hard for me to imagine it was real. Um, even when I was pregnant and even when, you know, I was getting ready to like have this baby, like it's not real until she's here in my arms. And then even once she was born, it was still hard to like wrap my head around the, the fact that she's mine. Um, and like you're waiting for like the other shoe to drop. Is that the yeah. saying? Or it's I like you're to- just waiting for something to go wrong because it went mm-hmm. wrong before. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if this is like TMI, but like even throughout my entire pregnancy, there was not a single time that I went to the bathroom that I didn't, you know, check to make sure I wasn't bleeding. Yeah. Not a single time. And, you know, I, I, I hope and pray that other people find comfort knowing that that's what, cause I've talked to other people too, of uh, who've gone through IVF and they're like, Oh, I did the same. I thought I was the only one. No, you're not the only one. Um, it's traumatic and you work so hard to get there that 
you know that your body can deceive you and can take it away from you in a heartbeat. And so you just, I I just tried to like hope and pray that that didn't happen for me, Mm -hmm. you know? And I know that, you know, with your miscarriage, I'm sure, you know, that was hard and it changed the way that you look at pregnancy and. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost this crazy thing because from my experience, my miscarriage came after I had my two boys and we weren't trying for another child. And then afterwards, I remember saying to CS, cause I, when I found out I was like upset that I was pregnant mm-hmm. and then CS said to me, because she, I found out right before she walked in my door for like a fun vacation weekend and didn't stop me. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, damn it. I can't drink now. He said, if you, I think it was something like, if something happened, like if you lost the baby, would you be sad? And I was like, well, of course I would. And so then it kind of put the spin on like, okay, well, that grants me the ability to be grateful and excited that this just happened and I'm going to be happy about it. But after my miscarriage, my husband and I still didn't have the desire to try. Mm -hmm. And I said, it would have been so different had this been before we had our other two boys or we knew we wanted to continue our family that the pressure and the worry and the constant like stress of this going wrong again would then be like the shadow cast on this beautiful journey that you're on just like your whole pregnancy it's like you feel it's almost like Colleen and I talk about this ignorance is bliss all the time like I say this now, if I were pregnant now, I would be terrified going through the pregnancy and having a healthy baby because you know so much afterwards from other people's experiences and their stories. And you're like, how am I so lucky that I got pregnant twice and easily and have healthy kids? Because that doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely mind thing. Yeah. Even as somebody who's gone through like infertility, like I still think it's beautiful when people are able to get pregnant so naturally and have these beautiful mm-hmm. families. And I'm, I'm just so thankful that other people who don't have infertility have to worry and feel the way that I did when I was going through it. You know, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't wish that on anybody and it's a hard journey and it feels lonely in the moment because not only are you pumping your body full of hormones that make you freak out, um, mm-hmm. but like people don't understand it. And it, yeah. it's hard to like walk in the, in the shoes. And like, I, I've even told my friends, like IVF wasn't hard. Like I can go to the doctor's appointments. I can give myself the shots. Like I can do all of those things. It was the emotional roller coaster of knowing what was at stake, you know, knowing that all of my hopes and dreams for not just myself, but for my husband as well, to have our own family is at stake right now. And it's all that we ever wanted. And so to know that that pressure was there, I think that that was the hardest part of the entire journey. Yeah. And you have very, very little control. Other yeah. than doing all the things that that w- was or were required of you, and that I feel like is even more pressure, especially like, when you feel like this is my body. Like, don't fail me. Like, yeah. you are 
supposed to be loyal to me, you know, and make things work and like do, do your it. Job. Yes. And then you feel like it's almost like this discomfort in your own skin because it's like, just do it. Like, why isn't this working? And then it becomes, I'm sure this crazy mind game, like you said in the beginning about like, well, what am I eating? What am I doing? What are my chemicals in my house? Like you tear everything apart to get some certainty in this thing that is just so uncertain for yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, and then everyone around you, you chose to share your journey, which I think mm-hmm. is amazing because there are so many people who just suffer alone and don't share their journey. But mm-hmm. with that also comes with people all dangling on a string, like, so does it work? Did it whatever. And like being all in your business about it when sometimes you might just want to be like, leave me alone. Like I don't want, so how is that? Did you feel responsible for all these other people's emotions then besides obviously yours and your husband's, but all the people who are on the journey with you? Yeah. So I was open with it because I didn't want it to be this big secret of what I was going through and Mm -hmm why we were going through it and it feeling like for me, if I kept it a secret, I would feel that there was a certain level of shame surrounded by it. And I didn't want there to be shame. There was nothing wrong with me. It's like kind of, yeah. So I I definitely wanted to share the journey because I want to normalize it. Like as women, we shouldn't feel ashamed when our bodies don't do something a certain way. Because like, if you're a diabetic and you're born a diabetic, you can't control that. Just like I can't control that. I was born and have endometriosis that like wrecked up my ovaries. Um, and so I definitely wanted to share the journey, but like you said, it, it is hard when there were some days that I just couldn't talk about it. Other days I was fine. Other days I couldn't talk about it. Um, And I took every day like that. Um, I approached it as if I didn't feel like talking about it, I didn't. And, you know, I had actually created like a small like little Facebook group for my very close friends and family. And I said, you guys, like, this is where I'll update you. Um, Some some days I'm not going to want to talk about it and I'll just put something there. Um, Other days, like... If you have questions, feel free to text me. If I don't respond, please don't take it personally as like I'm ignoring you. It's just in that moment, I'm having a hard day or I'm having a great day. Um, And so I was able to kind of update those people. But when it came down to like transfer, so we ended up with two and two embryos. And my husband and I decided that we just wanted something for us. Um, so we actually didn't tell anybody we were transferring. Um, and we went to our clinic on a Sunday morning and we did the transfer just us. And I didn't want to take other people on that roller coaster ride of, are you pregnant? Are you not? Are you pregnant? Are you not? Because I'm like, this is like the end game. Like if this doesn't work, then we are SOL and I might need to like live with that on my own. And my husband and I might need to process that ourselves. Um, And yeah, it was, it was just like so much pressure, but 
I think having such great friends and family that really honored how we were feeling and said like, Hey, whatever you need, like, if you need me to be there to listen, I'm going to do that. If you want me to be there to, you know, hug you and comfort you, I will do that. Um, if you don't want me to be involved, we won't be involved. And so just, and I, I think people have such good intentions, but every person handles this heavy stuff so differently. Some people want like, come, come to me. Don't let me be alone. Like I want to like process together with people or I want to avoid the conversation altogether. And so just knowing like what worked for us and, and isn't it Brene Brown says clear is kind. Yeah. Yeah. So I was really clear about what I needed in that moment. And I said like, okay, at the end of the day, like if I need you, I'll let you know. But if you don't hear from me, it's not me ignoring you. I just need space. That's so helpful for your people. For yourself. And and they don't know like what they can do for you. It's just kind of like if, if there's a, a death, like people mourn in such different ways and they process in different ways. And so just being clear about what we needed was really important. I love that. Boundaries for yourself. And I think that's so huge because when you can't be clear or set boundaries or have those personal, like, this is where I'll update you and whatever, then it's almost, you're just open to what everyone else thinks you need instead of what you are telling them you need. And I think that was so smart of you. Oh my gosh. That's, that's good advice for people who are indecisive about how to handle a journey yeah. similar to yours, where yeah. someone might be listening who hasn't gone through this and never will, but knows someone who is. Yeah. And I think like there's just so much that people could gain from this besides empathy and just consideration and hope. But anyway, okay, go on. So did you transfer both embryos or just one? We did. So we got there. <laughs> This this was a moment. So we get there. And now when you are going to transfer, you have to have a full bladder. Oh. And we were driving from Kenosha to River North. So to Chicago. So at like How far six, is that? Six o'clock on a Sunday morning. It's like about it typically it would take an hour and a half to two hours, but that early in the morning it only took us an hour. Um so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start drinking my my water in the car. So we get there and I'm about to pee my pants Mm -hmm. and the um, embryologist comes in and she's like, okay, now at this point, we didn't know how many embryos we had because it's a five day process and we were going on day five. So something could have changed overnight. So we get there and they're like, okay. And I was like, do we have three? Do we have three? She's like, you have two. And I was like, yes, we got two chances. And she's like, well, we're going to transfer them both today. And I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to, we're going to transfer both. And I was like, no, no, no. I, I, I do not think I can handle twins. I do not want twins. Um, I, I want to have two chances of babies. <laughs> I two separate babies, like years apart. Like I don't want them both right now. I just cannot handle. Where's the freezer? Them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Freeze that other one. Put one in right now. And she was like, "Well, basically, what the embryologist said is that one of the embryos looked really, really good." but one of the other one didn't look as great and she wasn't sure that it would handle a freeze and then a thaw for a transfer. So she's like, we're just going to put them both in. And I was like, Oh, okay. So we put them both in and only one stuck, but the one stuck. And so even now it's strange to think about that. Like, 
I think I was just so relieved that it worked for us and that we have our one miracle rainbow baby. But sometimes I do think about like, she was supposed to have a sibling and, and it didn't stick. And I think that what happened, so after you go through, you know, your transfer, then you have to come back 10 days later for blood work and they look at your HCG level and it's supposed to rise and then it's supposed to double within like two to three days. Well, mine like was high to begin with and it rose, but never doubled. And so they were like, Ooh, this could be an ectopic pregnancy or it could be like a pending miscarriage. And so I was like, those, those first two weeks, I was just like a mess. So Mm -hmm. What ended up happening is both embryos implanted, um, but one of them didn't make it. So that's why my numbers were rising really well, but not doubling because I wasn't getting a double HCG from both of the embryos. Okay. But but we have one baby. And I, so, I just try to be thankful for her. Oh, of course. So was that a phone call to like yeah. let you – so tell us about that phone call. Um, so I so after we like you go in for your blood work and you're like, oh my gosh, am I pregnant? Am I not? Am I pregnant? Am I not? Now, mind you, they tell you don't test at home. <clears throat> yeah, right. I spent like 150 bucks on pregnancy tests and I peed on that stick twice a day for those after day four. Oh my gosh. And then I got like the fancy ones that would say pregnant or not pregnant. And it was, my husband was like, Amanda, please stop. I've got pictures like day seven, day eight, day nine. I wrote on those with Sharpies. I'm taking pictures. Oh my God. I was a wreck. Wait, did but, they say pregnant? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my gosh. I know. So I, I told my husband, I was like, there's a chance because when you give yourself this trigger shot right before your egg retrieval, it boosts your HCG level. So what could happen is you could get a false positive pregnancy test. So you never know if it's from your trigger shot or if you're actually pregnant. That's why they tell you not to test, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't listen to those things. So I told my husband that I wasn't going to listen to a voicemail until we were both home together that night. So I, um, I was, I was working and I was driving in my car and I had two voicemails and I had one from a client and one from the clinic and I clicked play and I listened to my client's one and then it automatically started playing the second one. And I was like, oh my gosh, but it's my fertility clinic saying, um, we need you to call us back. And I was like, oh my gosh, maybe something went wrong. Maybe they need more blood work. Maybe they, they need me to come back in. And I'm not going to know this until, uh, like, unless I listen to this voicemail, but I told my husband I wasn't going to listen to it. So I called them back and I was like, hi, this is Amanda. And they were like, oh, hey, Amanda. Um, Yeah. Let me get your nurse on the phone. Can you hold on one second? And she was very businesslike. And I was like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Am I going to listen to good news? Is it bad news? Do they need more information? And all of a sudden, it was like speakerphone, and they're like, "Congratulations, you're pregnant!" Aww. And I was sobbing, and I was like, "Wait a minute, wait, you guys! I was supposed to listen to this with my husband. Can you call back and do that again?" <laughs> <laughs> they they wanted to tell you in like person. Yeah, and because they were so sweet and so kind, and everybody was just so excited, and so in that moment, I was like, "Okay, Amanda, you have two choices." <laughs> you can pretend you never listened to it. <laughs> or you can admit that you did. 
So I pretended I didn't listen to it. And I went to the store. <laughs> and I went to the store and I, I bought a little baby onesie. And in my mind, I was 100, like 99% certain it was a boy. I don't know why. I had it in my mind that it was a boy. I started buying boy paint colors a few weeks later. Like, it was crazy. Um, and so I I got, my husband got home from work and I was like, um, I have the voicemail. Can we listen to the voicemail? And I played it. And it was like, hi, Amanda. This is so-and-so from FCI or Fertility Centers. Um, can you please call us back? And I was like. And I, I had to pretend, and I'm not a good actress. I'm not a good liar. That is just not in my wheelhouse. And so my husband grabs my phone. He's trying to call the clinic. It's 630. They're closed. Um, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, what are we going to do? And he's like, we're going to have to wait till the morning, and then we're going to have to call them. And he's like, what time do they open? Like, 6, oh, right? No. And I was like, yeah, but that's and and he's like well we're just gonna have to call them right away in the morning like you're up early anyways like I'm sure you'll call right away and I was like I will and then we ate dinner and then I pull out this little gift bag for him with like a little baby onesie in it and he's like what he was so confused he had no idea and I was like I I called back we're like I'm pregnant and he was like Wah! um it was such a great moment it was such a great moment it's a good way and to then parenthood. I didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell any family. We didn't tell any friends. Um, we we waited until um, I I was at least six to eight weeks post, and we went in for an ultrasound to like make sure that everything was looking okay. So you had the wand again. The wand, the <laughs> joyful wand. Oh yeah. boy! Wow, really an iron wand. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is the best story about you finding <laughs> pretending you did. I had to pretend, Colleen. It was so bad. It was so bad. I'm not a good liar. And you wanted to share it with him, but then you didn't want him to know you li- like lied. I listened to the, the voicemail. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that was an accident, though. Yes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> the way it was meant to be—that is so funny. Um, you are just amazing. Um, <laughs> so. Then nine months later, you have Miss Maeve. Yes, little Miss Maeve. Um, she was born this past July in the middle of a pandemic. Wait, did you find out that it was a girl when you thought it was a boy all along? Mm, yeah, so we had gone in for like one of our ultrasounds. Um, and so we had we had done genetic testing um, just to make sure that everything was okay because we didn't do genetic testing on our embryos because I didn't want to risk jostling them in any way mm-hmm. um like we're gonna let them be and then we're gonna put them in and it'll be fine um so we did our genetic testing and when we had our ultrasound the um the lady was like do you want to know gender I was like yeah she's like well it looks like there's a little girl in here and I was like really because <laughs> like I'm feeling boy and I don't know if I can trust my mother's intuition now because like I was feeling boy like I had boy paint samples and I was like ready to put them on the wall um, and she's like, yeah, no, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's a little girl. And then the, the blood work came back and it was a girl. So yeah, oh. Maeve was born, um, this past July in the middle of a pandemic and has really turned our world around. Like I, I always tell anybody that asks, like, my heart will never be the same again, ever yeah. in the most beautiful, wonderful way. Is it like everything you thought motherhood would be or do you feel like it's like that much better because of 
what you had to go through to get there. I, I not don't know because really know, like, I don't have any kids that are like not like infertility babies. Yeah. But I just try my darndest to appreciate every moment with her. And like, I don't even care when she's up in the middle of the night. Like I will rock that baby. I don't even care. No. Um, I mean, there's some days where I'm like, sleep, <laughs> just go to bed. Um, yeah. But no, like it's it's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's everything I, I hoped it would be. Now, mind you, it's a little different right now because she doesn't go anywhere. She doesn't see a lot of people. So motherhood is so far different than what I expected. I had this idea that I was going to be like, oh my God, we're going to take Target trips and <laughs> Every we're going to have dates and drink coffee in the in daytime and wine at night and like see our friends. And we just don't do that. Um you and can I still do the coffee and the wine. Just this you know, is true. Home. Just not for other people, right? Okay. <laughs> wanted, wanted to make sure you weren't depriving oh. yourself of those luxuries. <laughs> I mean, right okay. now, perfect. Got, on Sundays we brunch, coffee mug. So perfect, perfect, perfect. Um, but no, she's she's beautiful and wonderful, and it's everything that I could have imagined. And I'm. I almost wonder too if like the struggles that we went through make the joys of motherhood that much better because we know how hard it took and we know how much time and energy and hope went into it. Um, but yeah, she's a dream. She's a dream. Well, that's your silver lining. If if yeah. all you went through does make it that much more joyful, then you oh deserve gosh, you every this- moment of it. There's this song that I literally can't listen to without crying. Um, it's by Dan Auerbach, and it's called Never In- – So Dan Auerbach is the lead singer of Black Keys. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and he did this, like, solo thing, um, and it's called Never In My Wildest Dreams. And it's got, like, this, like, beautiful, like, little, like, ukulele kind of, like, tune to it. And it's, like, Never In My Wildest Dreams um, Did I Think I'd Be Loving You. And I literally – to this day, cannot hear that song without sobbing. I mean, for the longest time, I, I couldn't even read her those books about, like, on the day you were, or on the night you were born, like, without crying. Oh, yeah. Or um, there's this other book called I Wish You More. Oh, my God. Even just thinking about it now it makes me want to cry. Where it's like, um, I wish you more ups than downs and things like that. And at the end of the book, it's like, I wish you more because you're everything I could wish for. Oh. <sighs> Yeah, mm-hmm. she's, she's just my little love. So if you guys have a minute, listen to that song and, and uh, try not we'll, to cry. We'll link, it. we'll link it in the episode oh, along okay. with pictures of Maeve and of, of you guys. And um, okay. I'm checking out the video. Oh, my gosh, the video. Oh, okay, yes. So I was going to say that you've taken so many people along on your journey, which <laughs> I'm awe of to make people feel not alone and – I personally feel like the more people just talk about things, the better they are and other people are and we become as humans. And one of the things you post, are you coming out of your retrieval and like all loopy? And it brought so much laughter and joy to an experience that we all as viewers knew was so trying and hard for you but you always even if you felt like you couldn't see the silver lining like had this you never lost that like light side of you to like make everyone feel good and happy and like that you're okay even though you're going through a really hard thing 
oh, those videos, man. Um, so, um, I, and I didn't know this about myself because, you know, like you don't have a lot of surgeries, but, um, my husband has been privy to see me coming out of anesthesia several times. Um, probably about six years ago, I, I broke my, my foot and I came out of anesthesia and apparently I was flirting with the doctor. Um, and he was like, right in front of my now fiance. And I was like, oh boy, but for my IVF things. So, um, I had the two egg retrievals and both times I came out of bed, boy, oh boy. Um, I was having conversations about, I, I told Pete that like, if this works, I want to name my baby Dr. Marut because that was the <laughs> doctor who did our retrieval. Um, I, I was talking about um, wanting to pet all the puppies at Petland, but I couldn't think of Petland. So I was going, Pet City? Pet Mart? No. I mean, literally like a toddler with a potty mouth. It was, oh it was so I just funny. Found I, was the like, lake. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. I can't wait for you to see them see us because it's, oh man, it was. I mean, with permission, could we share on the blog post about it? The video? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I put it out on Facebook. Share away. Okay, good. Thank you for not disappointing. So yeah, it, it's, we tried to keep light of the situation because we knew that, you know, being sad and being upset and being worried doesn't do any good. And mm -hmm. I knew that if I wanted to welcome a baby into my body, I wanted my body to be ready and, and happy and light and, I wanted to try to remind myself of the joys of what we're doing this for. And mm -hmm. I was just so, so thankful that, you know, I never had any, uh, yeah, I had very, very few people that had something negative to say about my journey. Um, I, uh, people are entitled to their own opinions and I know that, you know, IVF is not for everyone. Sharing about IVF is not for everyone, and that's okay. Um, but for the most part, and I, I think it just also kind of goes to show like the people that we surround ourselves with too. You know, like I had really wonderful, supportive friends and family, and people that were willing to cry with me and laugh with me, and very few people that were like angry about it um, mm -hmm. or had something negative to say. So. It was great. I can't imagine anyone being angry or negative towards you as a human because, oh my, oh, look it. She just woke up from her nap. I can run and go grab her in a minute. Can I ask you one last question? Of course. What can you leave anyone with who is experiencing infertility or has a friend who's experiencing it or just like someone who needs to not ask a couple when they're planning on having kids? Because let's be honest, what you don't know, you don't know and don't make situations worse. So yeah. what would be like a really great takeaway for everyone? Okay. So if you know somebody that is a woman Never ask her when she's having kids. It's none of your business. If it was your business, they would tell you. Um, you never know what somebody is going through. And the kind asking me that question, because it happened and people, people are well-intentioned. Um, but when I was in the middle of IVF and people who weren't like friends with me on Facebook or whatever, 
didn't know that we were going through it would ask questions like, oh my gosh, you're so good with kids. When are you going to have some of your own? We're working on it. That was my, that was my go-to answer. So just always trying to like be kind to people because it's, it's really nobody's business until they let you know it's your business. Um, if you have a friend who's going through IVF, ask them, what can I do to support you? Um, they will tell you like, you know, I, I, I need some space right now. I need somebody to just sit with me. Um, can I call you or text you when I'm having a hard day? You know what I mean? Like things like that. Um, we don't want to assume how people need support or we don't want to assume the kind of support they, they would benefit from. So I would say always asking is my go-to. And if you are somebody going through infertility, um, stay strong. Like at, at the end of the day, if you want to be a parent, you will be. Um, there's ways that you can be a parent. Um, it's a lonely, hard journey, but at the end of the day, try to see the silver lining of the big picture of what your, what your, your mission is, what your goal is. Um, you can do it. It, 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 there might be some really hard days, but there's also going to be some really great ones. And if you just hope with all of your heart and, you know, just try your best to see the silver lining, good things will come. They will. Um, and we knew that, you know, Maeve was going to take some work and we were willing to put in that work and we exhausted every possibility we could to make it happen. And, you know, it did. And, you know, I don't envy anybody having to go through this situation, but at the end of the day, it's worth it. it. It was worth every single shot, every single monitoring appointment, every heartbreak. Um, like I, I will never forget going in for like my last like monitoring session and my best friend Megan was with me. And before we walked in and mind you, this is like, she woke up at like six o'clock on a Saturday morning to come down with me to Chicago. And she was just like, can I pray with you? Like, I, I know that you are not super religious, but I just want to pray over you for a minute. And like, it just, it just means so much to have so many supportive friends and family that are willing to support my journey and help us to get little baby Maeve. Ugh. Sorry, I was trying not to cry, you guys. All in tears. <sighs> oh my gosh, Amanda! <coughs> I'm choking on my <clears throat> tears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, do not be sorry. Thank you for sharing and being so open and honest and helpful for anyone listening, and kind of rethinking a lot of things that we talked about. I think women specifically, you know, that timeline that was always daunting over you and that pressure and this things we don't talk about, about our bodies that are a part of half of the population that like we should be allowed to talk about and discuss and learn from and have better options. I don't know. I just think everything you said, there's so many things I'm now rethinking about already that I just think are so important. So thank you so much for sharing your heart, your story, everything. And um, people can follow along with you through your business for sure. We didn't really touch on this, but you 
do have a speech pathology practice. I do. And tell us all about that real quick. Oh, yeah. So um, I own a pediatric speech therapy clinic um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin called Simply Spoken Therapy. Um, I, I, I created the business in 2017 because I wanted to do more for my community and I wanted to provide kids with the tools that they needed to be effective and confident communicators. And I didn't want to deal with the restrictions and eligibility requirements that come along with the public school system, which I was in and I loved, um, but there was just a lot of red tape and it's to no fault of anybody, but that was just, you know, the system I was in. And um, now I'm, I'm working, you know, here in the city that I grew up in and I'm working with families and I adore what I do. Like it's my, when people say like, I, you have a calling, like speech therapy was my calling. Like I have just as much energy as the kids walking through my door. So it kind of makes it like a dream gig for me. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm just so thankful that I'm able to call my career something that doesn't really feel like work. Um, and I'm, awesome. I'm blessed. I truly am. Good, such good content on there. I love following along. And oh, good. We're working on it. Prince decorating her walls. It makes me so happy. So what's your handle where people can follow along with you? Simply Spoken Simply Therapy. Spoken therapy. I'm, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then my website is simplyspokentherapy.com. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so follow along for some like fun stuff. I, I'm, we're working on it. You're you're amazing. I and love your logo awesome. too. Super cute. I know. You know what's funny about my logo? Um, a friend of mine from college made that for me. Um, Colleen, do you remember Katie Buell? Are you oh, yeah. Grammarie? Yeah. Yeah, she did that logo for me. Oh, Isn't that great? Oh my gosh, I love it. Well, you are all sunshine and glitter, even though your story has not always been sunshine and glitter. We are sure Miss Maeve is all the sunshine and glitter in the world. So Do you guys want to see her? I can go. Yes. Her. Yes. yes. <gasps> oh, and her little sack. Oh, Hi, pumpkin. <laughs> She's not that. Like, just like her mom, the happiest human. Like, <laughs> well, you got something to say. Is this your first podcast, Maeve? It is her first podcast. <laughs> Maeve, you're such a lucky girl. <laughs> Look at those literally. cute PJs. Hi, baby. Oh, my gosh, you guys. I have been collecting shirts for her since, like, before the, like, before I even knew infertility was on my radar. Amanda sent me a video the other day of shirts laid out and Maeve crawled to the one that she wanted to wear, which was the one that she bought first before she even went through this whole journey. Yeah. And we'll add it to the blog because it was so sweet. <laughs> oh, my yeah, gosh. She's just our little, like, every kind baby. We just, uh, like, and I love to support you guys. Honestly, I do because, like, the message that you guys send and what you stand for is so important. And I love that you guys, like your story is adorable. I mean, <laughs> I, I just think like that's like the cutest part of it, but I love to be able to support such a, a, a beautiful mission and what you guys stand for is so important, especially in today's culture, um, just about acceptance and 
knowing that, you know, not everything, everyone has to agree with you. Um, and that we can be different and it's okay. And we can still be kind and empathetic and caring. So yes. I love supporting it. And I, I love what you guys stand for. Uh, so does Maeve. Maeve too. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Amanda. Well, thank you guys for your time. Thank it you. was so good to see you, CB, and see us. Lovely to nice meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you for giving us this time. <laughs>